Good morning, Redeemer Church. It is great to see everyone and great to worship with you. Great singing this morning really uh, thrilled my heart and made me excited to uh, live for Christ and to preach Christ. It was four and a half years ago that Anniston Bible Church and Grace Fellowship sent out about nine families to plant Redeemer Church to be a missional church in Oxford. And so on this Mission Sunday, I think it would be appropriate for me to read to you a letter that we received in the mail this week from the leadership and congregation at Anniston Bible Church. To the leadership and congregation of Redeemer Church Oxford, warm greetings in the name of Christ to everyone at the Redeemer Church. We give thanks to the Lord for your genuine faith and the faithfulness of your church to the gospel. Your testimony continues to sound forth and exalt our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been four years since you were sent out to establish a testimony in Oxford for the glory of Christ. We're writing because we believe that you're fulfilling the gospel goals for which you were set apart. We have seen the Lord answer so many prayers in meeting the needs of Redeemer Church and giving you a continual vision for the souls of the friendship community. The Lord is using you in a way that is far greater than your numbers or financial ability. We praise the Lord for raising up godly leaders from within your fellowship to serve as elders and deacons. We give thanks for the property and building that the Lord has provided and which you are stewarding to the fullest. We rejoice that you continue to evangelize the friendship community with both the message of grace and good works. Your labors for the cause of Christ have challenged us to be more earnest and effective in reaching Golden Springs. The Lord Jesus Christ has exercised our hearts to pray for you and to support your ministry with the enclosed gift. May the Lord build His church and increase His kingdom through you. With Christ's love, the leadership and congregation of Anniston Bible Church. That's gospel partnership. And you know, the reality is that uh, to the world, we may not look like much. But to the degree that we set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, and to the degree that we live for Christ, and to the degree that we demonstrate the love for Christ, we look like a beautiful bride before the Lord Jesus Christ who is longing to have matrimony with us forever. Let's pray for God's illuminating His Word to us as we look to Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. Father, we have two options. We can measure ourselves by the standards and measurements of the world. Or we can measure ourselves by the standards and measurements of Your Word. Father, we would pray this morning that as You show us Your Word, that as You reveal to us Your will, that as You demonstrate to us the glory and beauty of Your Son, that our hearts will resonate with what You call us to, and that we will shun and throw away what the world is begging us to join in. We pray that our hearts and our minds, our wills and our desires will be wholly committed to Christ this morning through the preaching of Your Word. We pray that there will be 
much more than emotionalism. But there will be spirit-led determination to live a Christ-centered life, to have a Christ-centered church that we may resound the glory of Christ in this community and region and world. So now, Lord, open the eyes of our heart and show us beautiful things in Your Word. For Jesus Christ's sake and in His name we pray. Amen. Friday afternoon, around 3.15, I had a good friend from Nashville that, that walked into my office uh, somewhat unannounced. And he was traveling between Atlanta and Birmingham and just dropped in. And it didn't have very long, and so we gave each other a handshake and a hug. And he sat down, and he asked me two questions right off the bat. He said, so... So how are you doing and how's the, how are the Limbaugh's? How are you doing and how are the Limbaugh's? And I just want you to know, church, that, that what that was was a fluorescent yellow softball that was tossed up into the air that was about belt high with the wind in my back so that all I had to do was swing and knock it out of the park. What do I mean by that? It was a softball for me to give a testimony. It was a softball for me to give a testimony, a confession, a declaration of who I am, how I am, what I am, what my family is, how my church is doing, how my ministry is, etc. And so I don't remember everything that I said, but I remember I said, you know, I was having health problems about three, four, five months ago. They were very difficult. I was, I was really debilitated from being able to do anything, and I had the church praying for me, and, and what ultimately the Lord revealed to me through that is that um, I had an inflated view of my own self-importance, that, that God had to show me that He is going to build His kingdom with or without me, but I am not responsible for building His kingdom, and, and that all I needed to do was strive to enter the rest, as Hebrews 4.11. I needed to work hard, not to work hard, and not to put so much pressure on myself because Christ is the one who is sufficient for these things. And then I told him as a family, we were having some success and we were also having some failure. And through the success and through the failure, we were feeling pressure in decision making and different things that were headed forward. But we were going to trust the sufficiency and the wisdom of Christ not to be overwhelmed by our circumstances, but rather to look at Christ and trust in His sovereignty and His wisdom and to have Him direct our steps. And I said at Redeemer Church, we are, we are, I think I said we are fighting and scratching and clawing in order to advance the gospel and to have Christ as our center motive. And we are failing, but we're succeeding, but we're striving nonetheless. And for that, we give thanks. And I said with FCA, we have seen a bountiful blessing of salvation in young people in the last couple of months. And for that, we are so grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it wasn't exactly like that word for word, but as I tried to walk down and describe the specificity of our lives and our struggles, I was trying to give testimony to Jesus Christ and what He's doing in me, in my family, in this church, and in my ministry. Why? Because I wanted to share with somebody who asked how I am to tell them exactly how I am. To tell them exactly how we are and what we're struggling with, but the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so, church, this is what I want you to know that when anybody asks you, 
how you are doing. It is an opportunity to give testimony to Jesus Christ. It's what it is. Every time someone inquires about your life and your family, it is an opportunity to give witness to Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul knew that the Philippians were concerned about how he was doing. And they're asking the question, Paul, how are you doing? How's it going? We've heard terrible things. We've heard that you're being persecuted, that you're suffering, that you're struggling, that, that Epaphroditus has been really sick, whom we sit down to help you, and we heard that he almost died, and, and we just want to know how you guys are. And Paul begins to answer that question in verse 12. And he says this, he says, I'm rejoicing in the midst of my suffering. Why? Because Christ is being proclaimed. He doesn't go on and on about his personal life at that point. He takes about six or seven verses and he just says, I'm rejoicing right now because Jesus Christ is being proclaimed by people who mean well and people who don't mean well, by people who are haughty and people who are humble. But regardless, Christ is proclaimed. The gospel is being advanced. So I'm rejoicing right now. I have gladness. I have delight. I have exhilaration. And then... At the end of verse 18, he not only says, I'm rejoicing right now, but I will rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in the future. It's not just a here and present thing. I'm determined to rejoice forevermore. Look down at verse 18b. 18b, he says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So this is Paul's testimony. And my prayer is that we will learn from Paul's testimony and that we will take ownership of Paul's testimony that we might be able to earnestly, honestly give the same kind of testimony about our own lives, about our own passions, about our own desires, about our own goals in our life. And so Paul would say, my testimony is this. He says, he says I'm confident. I have confidence. Right there in verses 18 through 20. Well, what are you confident in, Paul? He says, well, well I know. I know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be delivered. I know that through this. Now, what is this? It's everything that he's experiencing. Whether it be the shipwreck on the way to Rome, whether it be the beatings that he's experienced, it, whether it be the people turning away from him or the people trying to abuse him who so-called are Christians, no matter whether it be the fact that he's chained up, whether he's struggling physically and undergoing great burdens, it's all of this. This is the, the suffering that he is experiencing and he's saying, I will experience deliverance. I'll experience deliverance. Well, what kind of deliverance? Paul, are you saying that you're going you're to get out of jail? He said, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about ultimate deliverance. I'm talking about ultimate salvation. I'm talking about the ultimate when I will be able to one day experience the final fruition of my salvation in the presence of the Lord Jesus. I am absolutely confident of this. And you ask, well, Paul, where where does that kind of confidence come from? Church, look down at the passage. Look down at the passage. Paul, how can you be so confident that you're going to be delivered ultimately and finally and beautifully? How how are you so confident? He says, there's really two sources for my confidence. You're praying for me. You're praying for me. And I I believe that the... The prayers of a godly person are effectual. I believe that the prayers of the saints are effectual. I believe that when God's people petition for God's people, that God hears and that He answers and that He'll be faithful not only to listen, to but to follow through. And so my confidence is rooted in the fact that you are up in Macedonia on your knees, laboring on my behalf, going to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, knowing my needs. He's powerful. And you are tapping in to his power by appealing to his sovereign will for my life. And he says, I got confidence also. I got confidence in the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Like, they may beat me. They may ridicule me. Those haughty gospel preachers who want to hurt me, they may in fact produce all kinds of hurt that comes on my exterior. But the one thing they cannot take away from me is the power of the Spirit of Christ who resides in my heart and in my life. They cannot take that away from me. They will not take that away from me. And because of that, I have supreme confidence that I will be ultimately delivered. I will be ultimately saved. I will have ultimate salvation. This is my confidence. My confidence is I'll be delivered no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens around me, no matter what people do to me because I have your prayers and I have the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. That's not the only thing I'm confident in, Paul would say. Paul would also say, I am confident that Jesus Christ is going to be magnified. That's what I'm confident in. He says, look, I... I'm confident I'm not going to be ashamed. What, what would bring me shame? What would bring me humiliation? What, what would be, bring great, great shame upon my life is that if Christ were to be diminished in my life, that I were to take that light that He has put into my heart and I would somehow put a bowl over it or a basket over it so that people don't see Christ, people don't hear about Christ, people don't know the the beauty of Christ because somehow I have snuffed Him out in my life. I would be ashamed if that happened. I would be ashamed that people didn't know that I lived for Him, that I loved Him, that I declared Him. I would be ashamed if that were the case. But I've got no reason to be ashamed. Because for me, for me, Living is living for Christ. And dying is dying for Christ. See, the the word honored in the ESV, which most of you use, is translated a variety of different ways in the English version, in the English translations. It is the Greek word megaluno. Megaluno. And that word mega was really just like a noun. Or, or, or even an adjective sometimes. It means big. It means great. When, when Jesus was risen from the dead and 
And the uh, disciples were kind of despondent and discouraged. And they were out fishing, if y'all can remember them out fishing. And they were casting their nets out. And, and they weren't catching anything. And Jesus was down on the shore and they didn't know it was him. And Jesus told them to do what? Cast the nets on the other side. And can you remember what happened when they cast the nets on the other side? Yes, they couldn't even pull in all the fish. And it's not only were they great in number, but it says they were great in size. They were huge fish. It's the word mega. And, and when Jesus was buried and Joseph of Arimathea had that tomb and they put Jesus in the tomb, they said he had to go find a stone. The stone was so big that it covered up the entirety of the entrance of the tomb. What word was used to describe that big rock that was rolled over? It is the word mega. It means huge. It means big. It means grand. And so Paul says that Christ will be mega luno. He will be made to be seen great, to be seen big, to be seen huge in my life. Whether I'm living or whether I'm dying, Christ will be seen as great and big and huge because that's exactly what He is. And He says, I'm confident in that. This is my testimony. My testimony is that Christ will be seen as the great and glorious Savior that He is because that's my heartbeat. That's my life. That's why I live. He is supremely confident. He's supremely confident in His deliverance. He's supremely confident in Christ's magnification. And church, I want to tell you that there's a lot of confidence in the world today. And from my understanding of spiritual truth and spiritual reality, there are really only two kinds of confidence. There's artificial confidence and there's authentic confidence. Artificial confidence and authentic confidence. Artificial confidence is a confidence that is based on circumstances. It's based on situations. It's based on physical abilities. It's based on intellectual superiority. It's based on financial success. It's based on athletic success. It's based on somehow being physically, intellectually superior to other people in some way. That's where confidence is derived. It's situational, circumstantial confidence. But that's when people walk in a room and they are confident, it is often because of those factors. And why is that artificial? Well, for the very reason that it's circumstantial, it's situational. But what happens to a... An NFL football player who is 6'3", 245 pounds of pure muscle at the age of 32. And he is supremely confident no matter where he goes. No matter, no matter who he's with. He's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger, he can dominate. There's nobody more confident than him in a, in a hundred mile, in, in mile span. But you fast forward 10 years and he develops ALS and he can't get around, and he depends on other people. Where is his confidence now? Or you have somebody who is very successful financially. They've started three or four businesses. And boy, they are just raking in the money. And as they do, they build a nice house and they have a nice car and they walk into the country club and they walk into the fine restaurants and they have their chest poked out and everybody needs to know that I'm doing very well financially. And then all of a sudden, 
the President of the United States makes some move that causes the, the financial aspect of our world and our nation to plummet immediately and he loses everything and two or three of his businesses fall on the ground. Where is his confidence now? I could go on and on with examples, but every one of those are artificial confidences because they're not built on the solid rock, on the firm foundation. The only authentic confidence that you can have is in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you're building your house on any other foundation than that of Jesus Christ, you are artificially confident. I'm just going to give you a testimony really quick here. Yesterday I was coaching our basketball team, of which three of our little guys are in the church or on the team. And it was, to, it was a playoff game. And two or three no calls happened when I felt like our players got kind of uh, roughed up a little bit. And then at half court, uh, one of our players... I won't mention any names, Carson. He literally got, got slammed to the ground. And as soon as he got slammed to the ground, I didn't hear a whistle, and I yelled out, Are you serious? And the referee came over to me and said, Not another word or you're done. Joey, can I get a testimony? Did, was there another word? There wasn't another word. Listen, he put me in my place. Now, here I am. He's probably 25. I don't know how old. Here I am, 41, a pastor, an evangelist, all of this. He put me in my place. Now, you tell me, where, what kind of feelings would I be tempted to have? Uh, pride. Anger. Embarrassment. Resentment. Yeah, retaliation. Exactly, exactly. Now listen, after the game was over, I brought the referee over in front of my team. And I said, guys, I, I, don't, I, I don't regret taking up for you. But when I said, are you serious? It offended the referee because I was questioning his integrity. I was questioning his ability. I offended him, and I was wrong. And before the team, I want to ask for your forgiveness, referee. Oh, that's not, that's not a big deal, just the heat of the moment. You know, kind of played it off. But listen, this is my thing. I was able to do that because my confidence is not in my coaching prowess. My confidence is not having some grand reputation in front of a community. My confidence is not in all of that. What is my confidence? Is? My confidence is in Jesus Christ. For Him to be praised. And the only way for Him to be praised was for me to make Christ look great by me by having a penitent spirit, a, 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 uh, a desire to honor this man who felt dishonored, and so I could glorify Christ and check my pride at the door. Now, I know that's a unique example, but the reason I use it is because we don't live pie-in-the-sky lies. We make mistakes every day. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We spout off at the mouth. We do all kinds of ridiculous things. It doesn't make our life invalid for Christ. How we respond to those things is what really matters, whether or not we are magnifying Christ or not. So he's confident. I want to say I'm confident, not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is. 
All right, let's, let's go to verse 21 because he says, This is my confession. This is my confession. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to tell you what it says in Greek. Tazain Christos, ta apothenein kerdos. Tazain Christos, ta apothenein kerdos. Tazain Christos, ta apothenein kerdos. Can you hear the cadence? Can you hear that? Tazain Christos, ta apothenein kerdos. Over and over and over again, there is a cadence. There's also that same cadence similarly in the English. To live is Christ, to die is gain. 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 What are you saying, Paul? Paul is saying, this is my confession. That statement right there is not only the banner that hangs over my life. It is not only the anthem that comes out of my lips. It is not only what what you see and, and hear me say from a pulpit or in a synagogue, but I want you to know that that is the cadence of my heartbeat. To live is Christ. To die is gain. 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 That's who I am. If you were to open me up, Paul would say, if you were to open me up and do spiritual surgery on me, you would see that my mind meditates on Christ. That my heart beats for Christ. That my soul longs for Christ. That's who I am. But if we were to ask Paul, church, would you explain the statement to live as Christ and to die as gain so that we can fully understand what you're saying? This is what I believe Paul would say. Paul would say, to live as Christ means to pursue Christ. Like I pursue Him. He pursued me on the Damascus road when I was pursuing myself. He pursued me on the Damascus road when I was pursuing a vengeful religion that wanted to go and destroy anybody who was going to somehow lessen the religion that I was in. He pursued me, and so I pursue Him. I go after Him in the same degree in which He went after me because He loved me and He gave His life for me. So it is to pursue Christ, and it is to know Christ. It is to be in fellowship with Him. It is to know Him. It is to understand who He is, what He's done, what He's doing now as mediator and advocate, how He wants to spread His fame in all the world through my life. It is to know Him, and it is also to enjoy Him. You see, I think Paul would say, if you have an allegiance to Christ in some way, you say, I'm committed to Jesus. I have, I have a, a confession as well, and my confession is that I'm a Christian. I think Paul would say, if you're not after enjoyment of Him, where you are satisfied in Him, where you, you just... You enjoy praying to Him. You enjoy reading about Him, especially in the Gospels. You enjoy meditating on His power and His love and His grace toward you. You just enjoy the reflection of the fact that you have an awesome Savior who left 
heaven and came to earth and took away all of his rights to glory in order to identify with you as a sinner and to die for you as a sinner and then to be raised from the den that you might know life. If you, if you don't enjoy him, if you don't delight in just pursuing him, you need to question the validity of your confession. You see, there are many people who will check the Christian box when asked what religion they are. But if you investigate, there is no love for Christ. There is no pursuing of Christ. There is no enjoyment of Christ. There's the checking of a box of a particular religion that you affiliate with. And Paul would say that's not at all what it means to live for Christ. Because to live for Christ is to pursue Him. It is to know Him. It it is to enjoy Him. And it is to proclaim Him. It is to declare Him. It is to, to tell everybody that you know and people that you don't know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can say it in a hundred different ways. You can, you, you can say it in a hundred different tones and tenors, but it is to declare from the rooftops that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then not only is it to proclaim Him, it is to long for His presence. If you are a Christian, you want to see Jesus. You want to be with Jesus. You have that vision of Revelation 4 and 5 where John was ushered up into heaven And there is this sea of glass and this center throne where God is seated. And then there are these 24 thrones with all of the elders. And there is a rainbow of emerald that hangs over those thrones. And you hear these myriads and thousands and thousands of saints and angels who are saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Be glory and honor and praise and dominion forever and ever. For you are the Lamb who is slain and you belong. And to you belongs glory and honor and praise. You long for that. You can't wait to see it. You can't wait to behold it. And when Paul says, for me to live is Christ, it is to pursue Christ, to know Christ, to enjoy Christ, to preach Christ, and to long for His presence. To live is Christ. Therefore, therefore, to die is gain. Like, I get to gain all that. I get to see Him. I get to be with Him. I get to be like Him. I get to shed this sinful body. I get to shed these tough mental struggles that I have. I get to shed these relational problems. I get to shed the the way that I make my life such a mess oftentimes. I get to shed all that and take on the very character of the Savior who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's what it means. To die is gain. And church, I believe that we read that confession and we say yes and amen. Praise God for that wonderful statement. But we don't feel the necessity of asking the question, can I say that myself?
I would not accuse you of this because I don't even believe it's true for at least the majority of you. But for the world and many church-going people, their confession is, for to me, to live is me. And to die is loss. I live for my, myself. I, I live for personal glory. I live for personal happiness. I, I live to be loved. I, I live to be cared for. I live to be pampered. I live to be treated well. I, I live to be respected. I live to be honored. I, I live to be made much of. And if I were to die, especially anytime soon, that would be the most tragic thing that could possibly happen to me. Why? Because if your house is built on sand, the sinking sand of personal glory, then everything that you do has self as a motive. And when you die, you lose all that forever. Let us beware today. And let us be drawn into the encouraging, motivating vision to be able to confess with Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. He testifies then, really as a natural progression out of that confession of his conflict. Let's go ahead and read it again. It's been a few minutes since we read it. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And you know what he's saying there. He's saying, man, I, I long for the day to be with Christ. And I would love for that day to be today. But I've taken on the mindset of Christ as well. I don't just love Jesus in some objective way, I love Jesus objectively and experientially so that I take on the same heartbeat as Jesus. And Jesus humbled Himself and came to planet Earth to love us and to care for us and to deny Himself and to take up His own cross and to perish for us. And so I want to take up a cross and I want to love you. I want to care for you. I, I want to, to, to continue to live in this life because I know it's necessary to do so. And so I will postpone my going to Christ so that I can alleviate whatever struggles you are having to enjoy Him, to live for Him, to proclaim Him, and to long for Him yourself. That's my conflict. I'm feeling it in my heart. I'm feeling it in my life, but I know what is necessary. So look, look down at verses 25 and 6. You see His commitment. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Keep your eyes on the text. Paul says, I know that I'm going to remain. I know that I'm going to remain. I know that I'm going to remain. Why? For what? Church, tell me your progress and joy in the faith, and so that in me you may what? 
glory in Christ Jesus. That's why I'm going to stay. I'm committed to staying. I'm committed to remaining because this is what I want. I want an increasing joy in your life. I want a greater faith in your life. I want a mega, a mega, mega, mega glorying in Christ Jesus in your life. And it seems that God wants me to stay here in order for that to be produced in you. And so I'm committed to do, to do that because I want more people to be able to say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that apparently is the Lord Jesus' will for my life to, to come to you, to encourage you, to bless you, and to motivate you toward that same end. He's committed. He says, I know. Not only will I remain, but he says, I will remain. It's, really, it's two different words that mean the same thing. I will remain, I will continue. I will remain, I will continue. He, he is determined to do this. He is committed to do this. And it has to make us ask the question, what has happened to commitment in our day and age? I mean, church, the reality is this, is that people want to commit themselves to as little as possible. And they want to get the gain and the blessings as much as possible. And if we aren't careful, we will take on the same mentality and the same heart as the world. Very little commitment, but very high expectation. And I will tell you, that is no way of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ calls His people, His ambassadors, for a high commitment so that they can have a high reward. And I just want to tell you, church, if you... If you're wavering on your commitment level to Christ and your commitment level to your spouse and your commitment level to your children and your commitment level to this church and your commitment level to take the gospel to the community, region, and world, I will give you this admonition today. Stop wavering. Stop. Give your heart and your life and your desires to Jesus Christ and commit yourself fully to Him and His gospel and its advancement. You will not regret it, but you will regret having the same mentality as the world and having a low commitment and a high expectation. Because if you stay that way, when you behold Christ one day, you will be stunned at the result. Let's read the passage again and we'll close. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What was my prayer for Redeemer Church? This week, as I read this passage no less than 50 times, 
What was my prayer for us? That we would have nothing less than a permanent mindset of magnifying Jesus Christ in all things. That's my prayer. I will be pleased with nothing less. Christ will be pleased with nothing less that we have a permanent mindset to magnify the beauty and glory of our great Lord. May the Lord call us to that. May He equip us to that. And may He send us out as people who are bound and determined to live and die for Christ. Amen. Hmm. There's a sweet spirit among us as we look to Jesus Christ. This was Paul's testimony. This was Paul's testimony. He said, I have an intense love for Jesus Christ. And I have an intentional longing for the people of Christ. That's verses 18 through 26. I have an intense love for Jesus. And I have an intentional labor for the people of Jesus. That's my life. That's who I am. That's my heartbeat. If you open me up, that's what I'll bleed. Church, I want to ask you, what is your testimony? Some of you right now should feel very affirmed. Ryan, that's my testimony. That's me. That's, that's who I am. That's what I do. Some of you should feel challenged. You say, you know, I want that to be me. That, that's my heart. That's, that's where I want to go. And some of you should feel some guilt. Some of you should, should feel some, like, that's not me. That needs to be me. And I just want to say, if you're affirmed, thank God for His grace today that you're affirmed. If you're challenged, don't let that challenge go. Don't drop that ball. Take it today. Go to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to give you passion for the glory of Christ. And if you feel rebuked today, if you feel guilt that my life is about me, my life is not about Christ, then you need to confess your sin and run to Christ and run to the cross that your identity can be changed, that your value can be changed and your testimony will be changed today. Church, Jesus said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them the way that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do that, church, for the glory of Jesus Christ.